holy. Holy, holy. There is none like you. And Father God, we bless you and praise you that you are not only unique, all loving, all righteous, all glorious, but you are in our corner. Father God, you are for us. And if you are for us, we say who or what, where can be against us? What power, what circumstance? We just celebrate today, Father God, that you, God Almighty, are behind every one of us here. You are in our corner. You are for us, never against us. Father God, I thank you that you are not only for us, you have great plans. You have callings, you have destinies, you have purposes for people here. And Father God, your will is that none be frustrated, that we all walk into the fullness of what you shaped us for, the things that you formed us for in the womb, the exciting ventures, the partnerships you want to enter into us, Father God, that none will be, un will be left unfinished. But Father God, your perfect will will be accomplished in and through us and for us. Amen. We thank you. It shall be done. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, church. I've got something exciting to say. We've got a man of God coming out from Kenya in uh, uh, end of October. And he is a wonderful, humble man. Some of us he's been before many years ago, Bishop Joshua Mara. But he is um, he's just a wonderful servant of God. When I, on my travels, I try to take him everywhere I go because he is, he is, he has actually got a very, very powerful gift of healing above all else upon his life. And uh, we're going to have him here. We're going to have him here for a week. He'll probably preach two Sundays. He'll take a healing meeting. He'll minister to our leaders. Every kind of meeting we can take him to, maybe a home group. But we're just going to spend him here. Because <laughs> that's what he does when I go there. But he loves to minister. And uh, yeah, he is, a, he is a wonderful guy. So in particular, if you've got people that, you, that are away from God or unsaved, and you want them to hear the gospel, this man will preach... The undefiled, uncompromised gospel. Not, not one skerrick missing. He is a preacher of the gospel and he'll preach it in the power of God. So he is a, he is a wonderful fellow to, uh, to come and see. Uh, open your Bibles today. To By the way, we want to keep the camera going when we finish today because Gordon has got an announcement that I want everybody here, even on the camera. So just keep it rolling when we finish the meeting today. Uh, I, I, I don't have to stand for the word because I'm going to preach from a lot of scriptures today. But, um, you know, I, I'm just aware that we're entering into a time where I believe our world is going to increasingly get difficult. And I believe that God is doing a lot of the shaking, and he has a great purpose in the shaking. He's going to wake up the sleeping giant in the midst of the sleeping, the, the Western church. But a lot of things are going to happen when he shakes, and we've got to be prepared. I think life is going to get difficult out there in the world. God's people will continue to be protected and favored, but the, I think life is going to get difficult. And, uh, you know, some people think, well, that, that could be a problem to the church. You know, we have to understand that the early church existed in one of the most difficult times and circumstances in all of human history. The, the world that they lived in, the Roman Empire, was completely committed to their own false gods and completely opposed to what God was doing 
on the earth and through the church. That extraordinary opposition. People were consistently imprisoned. People were consistently killed for their faith. And yet the church accomplished everything God called it to be. Jesus said to them, you're going to go into the world. You're going to preach the gospel. This is going to spread like fire. You're going to lay hands on the sick. They shall be well. Signs and wonders will follow you. Everything that Jesus called them to be, they accomplished in the midst of great opposition. And I want you to know that God's intention is for everything that God calls you to be, that despite what happens in the world, everything shall be yes and amen. And... uh, You know, in Acts chapter 4, you find in Acts chapter 4, even though the same people that had killed Jesus had just threatened Peter and John because they'd done a miracle. They had performed a miracle in the name of Jesus. There had been a man who was crippled, and they'd come to this man and said to this man, silver and gold we have none, but what we do have is the authority in Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And the man was healed miraculously. And that brought great attention, brought persecution from the, from the uh, authorities, the religious and the secular authorities, and the church was challenged. But in the midst of that, you see the miracle happened. But then the church actually prayed for boldness and continued to boldly proclaim the gospel in the midst of great opposition. It says here in Acts chapter 4, The great multitude of those who believed, verse 32, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. If anyone had anything and someone lacked, all who were possessors sold lands and houses and bought them laid them at the apostles' feet. So here is a a church that is not only moving in the power, proclaiming the gospel. It says they were bold. It says that they were unified. Uh, They're all of one accord, of one heart and one soul. There was extraordinary generosity. No one lacked. People shared what they possessed. They had all things in common. They were even selling houses so that the poor that came in didn't lack anything. There was such love in the midst of them. They were accomplishing everything that Jesus called them to be. And it says, with great power, their preaching was with great power and signs and wonders, great acts of power accomplished everything they said. And so these people were being extraordinarily successful in accomplishing everything that they were called to be for one reason. For one reason. And there's a verse, I only want to preach on one verse today. Verse 33. Great grace was upon them. I believe God has actually wants to release great grace upon your life. I believe God wants to increase his grace upon your life. I believe you, God in this season wants you to walk in what Paul called the fullness of the blessing. And James speaks about the time where we can receive more grace. And I believe we as a people need to understand and how to draw on great grace in this season. Because that is the key to you accomplishing both individually 
For you accomplishing everything God called you to be. His child. He wants you to be peaceful. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be effective. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants that for you individually. He wants that for us as a church. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to be loving and generous. And all that is needed to accomplish all of this is great grace. And it's important as we speak about this to understand what great grace is. Because I've been in places where the grace of God uh, is it's kind of confused for like a magic blanket. And a magic blanket, you know, you, you just throw it over something and you can't see what's underneath it. And it's like once we're saved, we're, you know, we're under grace and you can pretty much do anything because the blood of Jesus covers us. It doesn't really matter how you live because this is great grace. But great grace is not that. Great grace has a number of elements. And uh, it, it's, let me just say this. Mercy, God's mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. So instead of getting, you deserve death because the wages of sin is death. You don't get that because God is merciful. But, but grace means not only do you don't get what you do deserve, but you also do get what you don't deserve. So it's unmerited favor. And, and the scriptures say we have been saved by grace, not of faith, lest any man boast. That means that you sinned and I sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the, law, that's the moral law of God. But instead of God giving you death, he loves us so much that instead he sent his son and sentenced his son to death in your place. Not only that, when his son died in your place, all the righteousness and the righteous acts that Jesus did was put into your account. And you didn't deserve any of it. God did it all out of his unmerited favor. It's called grace. You deserve death. He gave you mercy. You deserve punishment. He actually gave you his son's righteousness. So it's a gift. It is a free gift. And it comes simply. Righteousness. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. All we need to do is believe. It is the gift of God not of ourselves. And then, having been saved by grace, the Bible says that we are then justified by grace. Romans 3.23 says, being justified by grace. And that means, we're justified means just if I'd not sinned. So when the devil comes to condemn you because of something you've done, some failure you've done, we are justified by grace. That means as soon as we repent... As soon as you repent from every sin, it becomes to God just if, if I never sinned. It's like the sin is covered and I'm justified by grace. And, and when God's grace comes, when, you, when you're saved by grace, you're justified by grace, uh, God, there is an effect on your life. Numbers chapter 6 speaks about the presence of God coming into your life once you're saved. 
And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And that means release grace to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That means that when God starts to be gracious, release his grace upon you, it keeps you. That means protects you. His face smiles upon you, makes his face shine upon you, you have the smile of God upon your life, you're not a, a foe of God anymore, you're his friend and you have the smile of God upon his life and that brings peace which is wholeness. So the grace of God brings all that to your life and it's all undeserved. But today I actually want to speak about, because the book of Acts is not just about saving grace, it's not about justifying grace, I want to speak about the Apostle Paul speaks about enabling grace. And uh, enabling grace, just to give you the background here, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul was called to do great things for God. He was called basically to take the gospel into hostile nations. He was called and commissioned by God in a world which had their own gods, to come and say, all your gods are nothing, they're all just stone, they're all just statues, they're dead, but I have, I have met the God who is alive, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one that can save you. He was called to do that. It was an incredibly difficult job. And he accomplished all of it. But in the midst of having that problem, having that great commission that God commissioned him to do, Paul had problems. He actually had uh, this thing called a thorn in the flesh. Nobody kind of knows what it is, but he had a significant problem, an ailment that was a great handicap. And he prayed three times for God to take it away, but it wasn't taken away. And instead, when he prayed three times for this to be pray, taken away, the Lord came to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And this grace is, that he's speaking about means God's enabling grace. And he, when he came to Paul, he says, this enabling grace, it means more than enough. It is more than enough for every obstacle. When my enabling grace comes to, upon your life, it enables you to overcome opposition. It enables you to do what you cannot do naturally. It enables a person to move in ways which will astound other people because the power of God has come upon your life. And God wants to release enabling grace and understand that there is enabling grace for you and I to overcome every problem, every issue, every challenge. And when we have those challenges, the only thing we need to do when we're right with God is ask for more grace. If you have a problem and you, you have a challenge, ask God for more grace. Because his grace is sufficient. It, it means it is more than enough. The word sufficient here means when we understand God's grace, if you're struggling with sin, if you're, there's a besetting sin on your life and you can't overcome it, ask God for more grace. Ask God for the fullness of grace. As soon as you do, an enablement will come upon your life, which is not human. It is the power of God. It will enable you to walk in white in a way you can't, haven't been able to do before. And people have to understand this because in a, grace is not a blanket. To cover your sin, when you become a Christian, we're free. We've got to understand this. We're free from the ceremonial law, but we're not free from the moral law. 
So when you say, well, I'm under grace and I just keep failing to keep God's moral law, but there's a blanket, that's not what grace is at all. What grace is, God has a moral law for you to walk in. That moral law is all to do with loving God, loving your neighbor. And grace means it's an empowerment to do what the ceremonial law could not do. It is an empowerment from God through the Holy Spirit to keep the law which the flesh cannot keep. I want us to understand enabling grace because it's very, very important. We must understand enabling grace because God says you are an overcomer. God says, yes, you're going to have challenges. Yes, you'll have difficulty and affliction in, in the world. But I've overcome the world. And he says about you, you are going to face challenges. But the way God intends you to be is more than a conqueror. That means a super victor in the Christian life. When you face temptation, God's intention, and he's made provision for you to not to come under and fail, but to you to go right through, to turn away and continue to walk in white. When you face challenges, he has a capacity you for, for believe the promises of God and see the promises of God manifest in your life. How? Through enabling grace. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 4 today, I, I want to speak about this passage. And to give you the, the background, Zechari Zechariah is the governor. God has called the people after they've been in discipline for 70 years. God has chastened them and now he's bringing them back to Jerusalem. And Zechariah works in... Uh, tandem with this fellow called Joshua. Joshua was a priest, but Zechariah is the governor of the city, and they're called to rebuild the broken Jerusalem. So they're called to rebuild broken Jerusalem, Jerusalem which is broken down, and, uh, and he, started to, he started to build what God had commanded him to build, Zechariah. And then all of a sudden, as he started to build, a mountain appeared, and we're all called to build the kingdom of God. But when God gives you a task, the one way you know you've heard from God is as soon as you start to moving into your calling, as soon as you start to move into that thing that God's calling you towards, mountains will appear. The evil one will make sure of it. Opposition will appear. Problems will appear. So here is Zechariah starts and these this mountain appeared. And... Uh, mountains just represent obstacles that stand between you and what God has called you or promised you. They stand between you and God's promises. They stand between you and your calling. They're mountains. Can be a, a mountain of mountain can be a besetting sin that keeps coming. You don't seem to get over the top of it. You know, it could be gossiping, could be you just keep wanting anger. That could be a mountain. It could be a mountain of debt. Could be a mountain of illness, mountain of sickness. Could be a relational mountain. And, and Segariah's mountain was, it was twofold. First of all, he was, he was working with these people called Samaritans. And Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. The problem was, when they were working and laboring, 
Because they weren't fully Jewish and they weren't fully committed to the work, they were also not only half Jew and half Gentile, they were half-hearted. So he's working with people who really weren't putting their shoulder to the, to the wheel and were half-hearted. It's very, very hard to work with people who are not committed. And so these people were not committed, so he had this, this, this problem within. But he also had a, a problem without. He had been given favour by a king and he'd been resourced supernaturally by this king who said, yeah, you can, you can go from my kingdom and go back to Jerusalem and not only that, I'm going to resource you to rebuild Jerusalem. But that king died shortly after he started. And then a new king came and said, basically, you haven't got the proper permits. And so Zechariah had to go back and forth and, and basically this went on for 10 years. Ten years he was trying to get somewhere and everyone's half-hearted. Ten years, red tape, tied him up, tied him up, tied him up. And this mountain of working with half-hearted people, this mountain of red tape and opposition, it was before him and he was very, very frustrated. But when God calls you to something, he always calls you to completion. And so in the midst of this, God calls Haggai, a prophet, to come and uh, this prophet comes and he prophesies to uh, he prophesies to Zerubbabel this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel uh, I'm sorry I'm speaking about Zerubbabel not Zechariah Zechariah is the prophet he says not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord and then he says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So he's basically bringing this, this guy and saying, oh, you've got problems within, problems without, but he brings a prophet to, uh, to overcome the problems. He brings this prophet, and the prophet says, you shall speak to the mountain. And he speaks to the mountain, you shall become a plain. Words matter. The, the life and death is in the power of the tongue. He says, you're going to speak. Jesus said, you shall speak to mountains. And if you do not doubt in your heart, you speak to the mountain, it shall be moved and thrown into the sea and he says to, 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 to this prophet comes and speaks to the mountain and says oh mountain you shall be moved and he says not only you shall be moved but the mount oh great mountain you shall become a plain before Zerubbabel and and when he speaks like that when he speaks to the mountain he speaks and grace comes upon his words, he speaks to the mountain, and God's power comes upon his words, and he says the mountains will become a plain. The mountains will become a plain. And he says, in the midst of your problems, he says, begin again. And he says, your mountain is about to become a plain. Then he says, take the capstone. In verse 7, I'm speaking from chapter 4. Take the capstone 
And the capstone, if you're a builder, it's the last thing after you build the, the foundation, you lay the, 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 the foundation, put the walls up. The capstone is the last thing you put on just as the work is being finished. And Zerubbabel, uh, the prophet comes to Zerubbabel and says, take the capstone and put it on the top. Even though it's not completed, but when you put it on the top, shout grace, grace to it. So there's opposition. Speak. The mountain is going to become a plain. And then take the capstone. Even though the building's far from completed, take the capstone by faith. Put it on top and speak grace, grace to it. And as you speak grace, grace to the capstone, as you speak grace, grace to the, to, to the mountain, as you speak grace, grace, when you do, my power will come upon your work and overcome all the opposition. All the mountains shall become a plain. And the Bible says what God has begun, when he has begun a good work in you, no, he will complete it. He will begin a good work, will complete it in you. And so, so grace was something when they spoke it, when they spoke grace, grace enabled mountains to become plain. When they spoke grace, the power to complete was released. The supernatural power of God came upon their work and it overcame Every problem, every problem that stood in the way of that work being completed, every work of frustration, everything that stood in the way of God's promises coming to completion, those things were overcome by enabling grace. When they spoke grace, grace, the enabling grace and power of God was released into their situation and his hands, it says, shall finish it. Looked crazy. But tell you what. When you, and I, when, you and I, when you understand how God works, when you understand when we speak the word of God in faith and we understand what enabling grace is, it looked crazy in that time. But I want to tell you, that work recommenced. All the problems disappeared. The work was completed because when you speak and believe and understand enabling grace, something got activated and something gets activated, which is accomplishes all the politicking, all the human efforts, all the organizing, all the committees. When you speak grace into a situation, there is a power of God which is released that cannot be compared humanly and it comes and overcomes every obstacle. It comes and deals with every challenge. That's what the grace of God really is. And he wants us to understand when you're facing a mountain, don't try to work it out. Don't try to fix it humanly. Don't go and get a committee. Understand the life and death is in the power of the tongue and speak grace to the mountain. Speak grace to your problem. And as you believe and speak grace, God's enabling power will come into your situation, overcome your obstacle. It's very important God's people understand enabling grace. Enabling grace because you and I are dust. You and I need the power of God. We need the grace of God every day to accomplish, uh, overcome our challenges and to walk in all God's calling us to do. And there is a there, grace, is, it's just there. It's available. Every problem you have, every challenge. You may be someone, you're sitting here and you're saying, 
But you don't know, I've got a problem with lust. And I've tried to get rid of it and I've tried to do it. And I said, stop doing that. Speak grace to you. Speak grace to your life. Speak grace to your walk. Speak, I am the righteousness of God by grace. And you watch what God does. You may have other issues in your family that you don't know what to do about it. You may think you can just go to maybe secular counseling. I tell you, there's a better opportunity. Believe for God's enabling grace. Speak grace to your mountain. Speak grace to every mountain. And you watch God's power be released. So God wants you to understand and know how to activate and to walk in enabling. You're going to have challenges. I have challenges. My wife has challenges. People in this church, they all have challenges. But by the grace of God, we have learned the key to overcoming. Key to overcoming. And the key to overcoming is enabling grace. It is having great grace upon your life. Anyone who ever accomplishes anything in the kingdom of God, it's not because anything humanly. It's because they have great grace upon their life. Grace means favor, means a lot of things. But that's the only reason you accomplish anything. And anyone who knows anything about the kingdom of God will say like Martin Luther, I am only what I am by the grace of God. How do you get the grace of God upon your life? Because not everybody does. Not everybody walks in grace. Not everybody has access to overcoming enabling grace. Because the Bible says this, there's only one way you can get that grace. There's only way you can receive that grace. We sing a song called Grace, Grace, and it comes from John chapter 1, verse 15. It says of Jesus Christ, His fullness we have all received grace for grace. So Jesus Christ was full of grace. He's like a multifaceted of a diamond. He's full of grace, and he wants us to receive grace from him. He, he's, he's the source of grace. But it says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's only way, way you can receive the grace of God on your life, and that is not through trying to be a good person, not through the law, not through doing all these things. It is to come to Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It means you come to him, you receive him as your savior, you put yourself under his authority, and you submit to his will. That is the only way the grace of God can come to you. It comes through Jesus' source. There's many rivers but there's only one source he is the source of God's grace so you've got to come to him secondly then this is more importantly the book of James says this is quoting the book of Hebrews and Peter says the same thing they are quoting the same thing and they say um James chapter 4, verse 5. But he gives more grace. Isn't that wonderful? He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The channel which God's grace flows through, the channel which God's supernatural enablement flows through is humility. And here's the thing, 
God gives, releases his grace to the humble, but God opposes the proud. And we, when we think about the proud, God opposes them. We often think about uh, people who may be boastful and arrogant and, you know, uh, big on themselves. But, you know, it, it's possible to be proud in Christian circles. But because we know how, how much God hates proud, we're not allowed to be proud. Most pride in Christian circles doesn't manifest as pride. It manifests as false humility. I know a lot of people that have callings, they've got abilities, but they can't get anything going, they can't get a platform, they can't get where God's calling them to because of false humility. And you can, you know, I, I always say this, you know, you go to Bible college and they, they teach you to tilt your head on the right side, you know, to look humble. <laughs> that's just what they do. <laughs> but that's not what humility is. Jesus wants us to understand humility, so he told a parable, and I'll read it. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself to God, I thank you that I, not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You notice the Pharisee in that passage. I just looked at it then when I was reading. I just noticed all the eyes. I thank you. I am justified. I fast twice. I give tithes. So uh, it, someone who is proud or has a false humility, firstly, is aware of their own self-righteousness. And this is where spiritual pride hides. It's actually in self-righteousness. It is possible to cut yourself off from the God's grace and be coming to every prayer meeting, to be fasting twice a week, to be, be doing a whole lot of activities, a whole lot of things you, you think please God and you develop an attitude towards yourself that I'm very good because of all this. It's very, very possible. And the tragedy is, like the Pharisee here, as soon as you do that, you not only cut yourself off from God's grace, God is actually against you. He's actually stopping you getting to where he wants you to be, where he called you to be. He actually opposes you. He stands there and says, you're not going any further till you get humble. And you can wait years and years of your life because you're self-righteous. And I believe it's one of the greatest tools of Satan. That's what stopped the Pharisees getting to Jesus was they actually believed in their own righteous life. And you can think like that. And you can think, this man believed in his own righteousness. And people who are falsely humble or proud also look down on others. He says, thank God. 
And it was genuine. I'm not like them. I'm not like that prostitute. I'm not like that drunk. I'm not like that addict. Someone who's humble, you know what they really say? They say they're only like that because of their circumstance. I may have been brought into a family, but there but the grace of God go I. I'm dust. My nature. I'm no better. Given the opportunity, I'll probably be just the same or worse. Someone who's humble has a knowledge that my sin nature is no better than anyone's. I often say, someone who's humble, they say, we're all beggars. We just know where to get the bread. So this Pharisee is so confident in his own self-righteousness. He's looking down at others. His focus is on himself. He wants to parade himself. But this tax collector is not even looking up at anything. Not looking up at anything. He's just, he just aware that he is a sinner in need of mercy. He has a sin nature, and every day he's in need of God's mercy. That's the reality. Praise God, his mercy is in you every morning. But he's not parading. There's no parading of what he's done. There's no parading of his works. There's no even awareness if he has any good works. There's no awareness. There's only an awareness that he has a sin nature, and he falls short of the standards of God. And that's the reality is no matter how good you are, Every single person needs the grace of God. We all fall. And everyone who accomplishes something for God. You see this attitude in the scriptures. Jacob says, I'm not worthy. Gideon says, I'm from the least of the least. David says, he goes and prays and says, who am I and, and, and my people that we should be favored? Paul was a genius. He was a genius. He was able to interpret the, old, the, the, the work of Christ through the whole of the Old Testament. But when he introduced himself, he, always, he never introduced himself as someone great. He introduced himself as a bond slave of Christ. Because everyone who accesses the grace of God is humble. And here's the thing. It's wrong to actually pray for God to humble you. Because James says, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. And someone who is humble, uh, Philippians 2 speaks about another aspect of humble, of humility. And, and speaking about the humility of Christ, but it says in having my, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowly sin of mind, let us esteem other people's as better than yourself. So someone who is humble is not only humble in their outlook towards God, but they're also lowly in their attitude towards other people. We don't consider ourselves superior to other people. We don't think I'm more than other people. What we are aware, if we're accomplishing anything more, is it's all being done by the grace of God. But intrinsically, my nature is not good. In and of myself, I'm not better than anybody. In and of myself, I not, cannot do anything apart from God's grace. That's what a humble person knows. And it's not worm theology. It's not saying that I am, you know, I am something that I'm not. 
It's not low self-esteem. What it is, humble people are simply honest about themselves. They're truthful about who they really are. That's the essence of humility. And it's so important because in order to receive, I've seen so many people not able to get going because the issue is self-righteous pride. And I believe God wants to cleanse the body and bring about a humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that means? A translation? As long as we're truly humble, everything that is in heaven, everything that is God's becomes available to us. It's not futuristic. It's now. And what is that? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so, God wants us to walk low. He wants us to have an attitude towards ourselves that we aren't anything apart from his grace. And I was a pretty lousy at school. I was very lousy at science. But I remember one, one experiment, and it was an electrical experiment about how a current flows, electric current. Electric current contains power. It's a great attitude of or an illustration, someone else has used it, about uh, God's grace and his power, how it flows to your life. And it's, it's like if you went to school, two negatives, nothing. Two positives, nothing. A negative and a positive, power. The negative is you. That's what it is. The positive is all God. Anything good comes from him. Anything right comes from him. Anything holy comes from him. Anything just comes from him. Anything loving comes from him. Me, I'm just weakness. As long as you have that attitude of the power flows, the grace flows, but it only flows to the humble. It only flows to the humble. If you consider yourself, I'm a negative. Doesn't mean you're a worm. Doesn't mean low self-esteem, but it means apart from God, I don't have the goods. When we have that attitude, his power, his righteousness, his purity, his overcoming power flows to our life. Doors begin to open. Platforms be given. Nations can be taken. Cities can be shaken. Bodies can be healed. Signs and wonders can be done. Words can be preached. All through great grace being upon our life. God wants us. I'm telling you, in this season, he actually wants us not to say, I've received the grace of God. He wants us to say, I'm walking in great grace. I'm walking in great grace. I'm walking. Yes, I've been saved by grace. Yes, I've been justified by grace. But I have an enabling grace upon my life. I am able to do humanly what nobody else can do. I'm able to accomplish things that astound even me. I'm able to overcome every temptation and keep walking in white. I'm able to have victory when I'm tempted. I'm able to put the devil at flight. I'm able to use all my authority. I'm able to, to take the gospel to nations. Why? Because the grace of God is upon my life. That's what he wants. He wants each and every one of us to be able to access 
the supernatural, unexplainable. We call, we sing a song called Amazing Grace. That is about God's enabling grace. And that grace, yes, you'll have mountains. Yes, you'll have mountains. But when we understand there is enablement to deal with every mountain, there's an enablement that God has for us to overcome every mountain. That in, that, that the secret and the power to overcome that mountain is his grace. When you have a mountain, when you face a mountain, don't be intimidated by the mountain. Don't talk about the mountain. Speak to the mountain. Grace, grace. And a power will be released that overcomes every problem that stands between you and God's promises. Father God, I want to thank you today for your grace. I want to thank you today. There is something sufficient for every problem and every challenge and every human weakness, as Paul knew all those weaknesses and challenges, but he said your grace was sufficient. And Father God, in the name of Jesus today, every mountain of sickness, every mountain of debt, every mountain of sin, I speak grace, grace to you today. I speak that you shall become a plain. Every mountain will become a plain today. Every mountain of debt, every mountain of disease, in the name of Jesus, I speak grace, grace to you and declare that you shall become a plain. I I declare there's a power dealing with you right now. I declare the hand of God is coming upon that, that mountain right now. That hand of God is making that mountain a plain today. Every door that is shut, I speak great grace to it today. Or every, every besetting sin, I speak great grace to you today. I declare that sin becomes a mountain. I declare the power of that sin is destroyed. I declare every mountain marriage issue today. I speak grace, grace to you. And I declare... You become a plane in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said, Amen. let me read this scripture to you just to finish. Just to finish. The Bible says, let us therefore. You know what it's called when you come to pray? It's called the throne of grace. You know, I. Paul started every letter. Do you know how he started every letter? Grace to you and peace. If you just understood, all you need is grace. All we need is more grace. And here it is. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That means that we don't get what we deserve. And find grace. favor that we don't deserve we may find it when in our time of need no matter what your problem is no matter what your need is no matter what you're going through the solution is great grace God wants to give it to you he wants you to be walking in this season in increasing victory, increasing authority, increasing holiness, righteousness. And I just believe somebody here needs that grace. Maybe somebody here is listening. I said earlier, there's only one way to get it. There's only one source to, of, of it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. No other religion, 
no idol, no religious activity. There's only one who is full of grace. That's Jesus Christ. You've got to come to Him. You say, how do I come to Him? It's as simple as the ABC. You admit, like the tax collector, that you're a sinner. You admit to God you need forgiveness. You're a sinner. You admit to God you haven't lived up to His moral standards. Secondly, B, you believe God wants to forgive you. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to wash you clean through the shedding of his blood. You believe it, and you believe it's for you. And then you simply confess, Jesus Christ today, I receive you. I receive the work you did at my, on the cross, and I confess today you are my Lord. You become my Lord, and you become my Savior. As soon as you do that, the channel of grace comes through Christ, becomes available to you. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the callings. Thank you for the promises that you've made to us. Oh, how they give us vision. How they keep us alive, Lord. And I thank you, Father God. Though there be a mountain that stands in front of us. Father God, I thank you. Grace is making that mountain a plain this day. This day, mountains are being dealt with by your great grace. It is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit that is released through my grace that demolishes those problems. We bless you, Father. We bless you. You save us by your grace. You keep us by your grace. You watch over us by your grace. You provide for us by your grace. We deserve none of it. And Father God, you enable us to become victors, overcomers more than conquerors, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can imagine or think. You enable us through great grace. Father God, I declare great grace upon every family here today. I declare, I speak great grace upon every business. I, I declare great grace upon our walk in white. I declare great grace on every marriage here today. I declare great grace over our children here today. I speak great grace into every difficulty today. We thank you, Lord, that as we pray, we know, despite how we feel, despite what we're experiencing inwardly, your grace is sufficient. It is more than enough to overcome all my weakness. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on you. Your grace is being released even in this room right now. We give you all praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. We're going to pray for people here today who are facing a mountain. We're going to pray at the end of the service for you. But just be patient. Because Gordon, while the camera's still on, he's got a project. He is just, he's such an inspiration to me. You know why Gordon's an inspiration to me? He's, 
Can I say it? He's well into his 80s. And the fire, fire is just still there. And God's, you know, there's no such thing as retire. We just refire for Jesus. And he's just producing these tracks. He wants to go out in the street. He wants to, just incredible. Such an inspiration. Where are you, God? Where is he? Here he is. Come forward. It's all yours.